Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. So today, we are going to begin a new uh, sermon series that I'm calling Covenant uh, Community. And to to begin with today, I want to paint just a bit of a backdrop so that you can uh, understand the context and the heart behind it. So uh, as you all are well aware, uh, this this past two years of the pandemic has been a challenge for many of us. But I think it's, it's safe to say that there are some sectors of workers that have been impacted more than others. So for sure, our healthcare workers, uh, people in the education system, uh, government leaders, and many in our business sector. But another area that's been experienced uh, a challenge is actually the church. And the pandemic has been a, a great revealer and a great accelerator. And so what I mean by that is that any kind of cracks or misses in ministry that we had beforehand that were kind of hidden, uh, they've been exposed, and now they're just wide, you know, gaping holes. And what we've noticed is that uh, deeply rooted values and well-formed patterns and practices have dramatically shift- shifted over the last two years. And so that means that the people have, have drifted away from the church. They've drifted away from uh, the people in the faith community, and some have even drifted away from God. The other thing that we know has happened for us is that we have polariza- po- polarizing viewpoints, and those polarizing viewpoints ha- have really torn us apart as, as church families and even as physical families. Uh, government restrictions for us have been a challenge to develop community. Even our small groups have been a challenge because there's different variations of what people are comfortable with. And, and the end result is that momentum has been lost. Uh, volunteer minis- uh, ministers have diminished. Uh, church attendance has, has declined. And even... Uh, pastors across the board, I'm not just speaking about our pastors or myself, I'm speaking across the board, are exhausted. In fact, one survey even said that, that they're expecting 30 to 40 percent of pastors to leave the ministry over the next little while because of all the things that have happened during COVID. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because uh, it's a challenging time for the church, and, and we're coming out of the pandemic now, we're coming out from under its cloud, and, and now the question is, well, how do we, like, how do we form ourselves? What do we do, and how do we move move together again. And so um, as, as a staff team, we went on a retreat this spring. And one of the things that we, we tried to do is just really seek the Lord and say, uh, God, what would you have us do? Like, what are the critical pieces for us as Ebenezer in this next season? And we came up with, with a few things. Uh, you know, we, we just trusted that the God knows us, that God knows you know, our hearts and, and your hearts. He knows the hearts of those that aren't here today. And he longs for people to, to know him and to walk with him. He, he wants us to be fruitful in ministry. He wants us to have some, some energy and vibrancy around this. And so as we sought the Lord and, and tried to discern his voice, we, we had a sense of, of, of kind of three areas that we need to focus on this next year. And so I'm going to share those with you briefly right now. Then over the next six weeks, we're going to take six weeks to, to talk about these in, in a bit more detail. 
And if you're part of our, our Ebenezer family, coming up on, on uh, May the 17th and 18th is going to be what we're calling a, a vision night, but it's, it's really more of a community conversa conversation where we just sit down and say, you know, what are we going to be together moving forward coming out of the pandemic? It's kind of like a, a little bit of a reset button for us. But here's, here's the first thing that, that, we, that we came up with. Um, we just sensed that, that, that God wanted, um, first and foremost, He wanted us to, to have our hearts turned back to Him. And um, I like what one author, his name is, is uh, Warren Wiersbe, said. He, he says this, that the, the heart of the problem is usually the problem of the heart. And uh, God knows the conditions of our heart, and he, and he longs for us to return to Him with our whole heart. Uh, he knows if, if you've uh, drifted away from Him. Uh, even in, in the book of Revelations, he's, he's, he's talking to the church of Ephesus, Jesus is, and He's affirming them for everything that they are doing good in. But the one thing He says is this one thing I have against you. You've, you've forsaken or you've abandoned or you've left your first love. And they just kind of, He's recognizing that, that the things that used to be important to you, especially the things of God, have, have shifted to a second place inside that. And, uh, you know, God, God knows us, right? He, he knows humanity. He knows that, that we are prone to wander. There's actually a, a hymn that captures this. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And, and in the, there's a line in there that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You see, you see God knows that's our tendency. And, and if in this last season, it, for whatever reason, you've drifted away and you know it in, inside your heart, God understands that. You know, He knows if your heart has become divided so you've been shifting after other things. He knows if it's become cold or, or complacent. He, he can see inside your heart and, know, and knows whether it, you've, it's been filled with sin, the darkness of sin in your life. And what, what God says in the midst of this, in His grace, is he doesn't come and get mad at us. He just says, return. Like, re return to me. And he's waiting for us to return and renew that commitment. So that's the first thing. The second thing that, that we had this sense of is that this was a season for us to really uh, uh, lean into, into spiritual family and have this family renewal. Because God is calling us you know, to renew our commitment to each other. And uh, when we say family... Um, I mean a group of people that has this, this radical sacrifice for each other. So think of your physical family, especially if you have a good one. Okay, so right now I'm just going to kind of ponder my family. And if, if you know me, you know that, that I absolutely love my family, and I love spending time with them. I have three adult boys and, and uh, two daughter-in-laws and, and two grandchildren with one on the way, and my, my greatest like love and life is to be able to spend time with them. And so, so when something comes up, it's, it's, if there's a crisis or something, there, it's never a burden. Like if they say, hey, Dad, we need you. You know, can you come and help us? I don't make up an excuse. I'm just there, right? That's what, that's what we do as, as family members. You know, we, we, it's not a burden for us to spend time together. We're going to do that later on this afternoon. And we're looking forward to those things. And, you know, families, we, we tend to move heaven and earth just to be able to, to serve one another. That's what families do. And this is what, a picture of what the spiritual family is supposed to be. In, in fact, um, I would even suggest that your spiritual family is more important than your physical family because uh, physical families eventually, like kids leave home. 
or people pass away or there's breakdowns in relationship and those things aren't there anymore. And, and one day, you might find yourself in a place where the family that you really enjoy and love is no longer there, and then where do you go? And so this is where we have the spiritual family because it actually endures beyond our, our physical families and why we have to do that. Um, now, it's interesting in, in, the, in the New Testament, of course, uh, the idea of, of community or family is, is just assumed. Like, like, God expects us to be part of a spiritual family. In fact, in, in His eyes, it's, it's inconceivable and even impossible that we would, we would do life in the faith alone, solo. That's not how, what it's meant to be. And so uh, that's what we're looking at, is how do we come alongside each other and celebrate in the good times and, and are there in the messy times, and when it's not convenient, we still there, are there with family. And so we're going to be looking at that, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about in the 17th and 18th, is what does it mean for us to be family? Now, I know we've talked about that before, and I don't apologize for talking about it again, because it's critical. It's, it's important for us. The third area that we we're looking at is what, what we're calling mission renewal. And God, we believe, is God is calling us to renew our commitment to join Him in His mission to the world. And again, I'm not saying to join Him in His mission at Ebenezer, because that might be part of it, but it's, it's much broader than that. It's, it's what is God revealing to you? Where is He prompting you? What's He gifted you for? And how do we serve Him in these areas? And so what we know is that is God's going to give you the power to serve. He wants to use you and bless you as you serve. And he wants to bear spiritual fruit for you, through you. So those are some of the things we're going to be looking at over the next uh, uh, six weeks. And, and in week one, I'm going to look at kind of a, a theological framework for, for this. And then the second week, we're going to have one of the other pastors come up, and they're going to be really practical and say, well, this is what it looks like for us to be in community, or this is what it looks like for us to have our hearts turned back to God. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. Now, with that brief overview, I want you to open your Bibles uh, to he Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 19 to 25 today. Now, this is actually going to be my anchor text for the three times that I speak in this series. So we're going to keep on coming back to this, to this chapter. And whether you are, um, have been at Ebenezer for many, many years, or whether you are, it's your first time here today, I, I want you to, to think of a question. I want you to think of what does it really look like or what does it really mean uh, to be the church? You know, does it mean gathering together like this in a room like this and listening, you know, to singing a few songs and listening to a sermon? Or, or does it mean something more? And, of course, we're suggesting that it means something much more than that. And in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, what we're going to see is that there's going to be two foundational truths that come out of this passage about what it means to be the church. Things that, that make us unique and set us, set us apart from any other organization or club that we can read about. So I'm going to read uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 19 to 25, and I'm going to read from the New International Version uh, today. And my subtitle of this is A Call to Persevere. So here's what it says. Uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, uh, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, um, the, you might not have noticed this in the text as it's kind of hidden, but that the first foundational truth I want to draw out today from this passage is that we are recipients of a new covenant. Now, just a little backstory here. Um, I proposed um, our, the sermon series titled to our staff team. I wanted just to call it Covenant, then I changed it to, to uh, Covenant uh, Community. And um, uh, when I proposed to it, uh, Pastor Will, where's Will? Okay, right there. So he's, he's our newest and youngest staff member. He's been officially on staff for six days or seven days today. And uh, he was concerned, and he expressed his concern, that the word covenant sounded old-fashioned and that would not be uh, relatable to a younger generation. Well, it, it was nice to have Will on the staff for the three days or so that he was here. Um, <laughs> but a lesson learned, you know, when you infer that your boss is old-fashioned, right? Uh, Pastor Chet, and I think it was Pastor Grace as well, they, they had a, another concern. They wondered if covenant might actually be a, a negative term that, term that would turn people off because it, it, it kind of infers a level of commitment that, that most people today, or very few people today, are willing to, to follow through on in any context. And uh, I overruled them just because... I still can, <laughs> and, and I kept that in there. And, and the reason I, I overruled them was because covenant is an, actually an important word. And it's, it's a biblical term, but it's also, it actually forms the framework by which we understand much of Scripture, and especially God's relationship to us. And in the Old Testament in particular, at the heart of many of the stories, you're going to see this concept of covenant, where God makes a covenant with His people. And, and, uh, and it, it helps us understand how God relates to us as people. Now, um, for those who might not know that term very well, I'll give you a, a quick definition. Covenant it was a binding agreement between two or more parties. And um, it, was, it defined the relationship they had with each other. It defined how they would act. It defined what they would fulfill and what the, how they would re re respond to one another. Now, in fairness to, to Will's concern, uh, covenants are actually uh, almost obsolete in our culture today. They've been replaced by, by contracts and legal things. But there is one covenant that survived the, the test of time. Do you know what that is? It's the covenant of marriage. And um, there's something important about that, that understanding. I, I, in, in the last days, I, I've been, I've been uh, at weddings, when I do weddings, I, I talk more about covenants because I think it's a word that's lost today. And what I tell the young couples that are getting married is that, is that a covenant language has a very different feel than, than contractual language. Covenant language is, is, is full of relationship. And because it's relational, it's also more powerful in its approach. And as we read the story of the Bible, uh, it's almost impossible for us not to notice that we have uh, a covenant-making, covenant-keeping, covenant-fulfilling God that, that enters into covenants with, with humanity to, to kind of declare His redemptive purposes in the world. Now, there, there are several covenants, covenants in the Bible, but in, in particular, there are five that you need to know. 
And there are five that kind of help form and frame the Scriptures for us. And so I'm just going to go over them very quickly for you. And if you want some more information, you can talk to Pastor Will about that. Okay, so the, the first one is, is, is uh, the Noahic Covenant. It's really the covenant between God and Noah, found in Genesis chapter 9. And in this covenant, God makes a, a promise to humanity, but actually to all of creation, that he will never destroy the world again through a flood. And uh, this is a covenant, and, and most of the covenants I'm going to mention are, are unilateral, which means, which means that, that um, uh, God is going to do this no matter what anyone else does. It's, it's determined by his character and his decisions and not by anyone else. And so God made a promise that he's never going to do this again. And the sign he gave for that is what? The rainbow. And so when you're out Side this spring, and hopefully we're praying for rain, and we're going to see some more rainbows. Every time you see a rainbow, you just think, hey, we have a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And, and this is, shows that he's, he's still active in our lives. And covenant isn't an archaic word, right? Well, okay. Then the second one is the Abrahamic covenant. And that's found in Genesis 12 and 15. And, and this covenant is actually central to the biblical story. And in it, a few things happen. So, uh, God promises Abraham that he's going to give him a land, which becomes the nation of Israel. He's going to become, he's going to give them descendants as, you know, greater than the, the sand and the seashores. And they're going, to, they're going to become a nation. And then he's going to give them, um, bless all people through them. So there's a blessing inside there. And again, this was the unilateral covenant that God was going to do no matter what happened. The third covenant you need to know about is the covenant between God and the people of Israel. And it's called the Mosaic Covenant because uh, Moses was part of that. And it was established when, when the people left Egypt and, and God brought them to, to Mount Sinai after he led them out of slavery. And it was at Mount Sinai that, that God gave the nation of Israel through Moses the, the Ten Commandments and all the other commands that, that, were, that were part of that. Uh, now, Unlike the other covenants I've talked about, this one was not unilateral, it was bilateral, which means that it was conditional, that God said, if you do this, I will bless you. If you do this, you will not receive my blessing. In fact, you might be cursed, right? So it was dependent upon who we are as people. And, uh, and so that's what was supposed to happen. And unfortunately, even though God said that, the people of Israel did not keep the covenant with God, and it caused all sorts of, of, of problems. Now, another word for the, for the Mosaic covenant or the, um, or the, is, is the Old Covenant, which is really the Old Testament, the Old Law that we see in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, we call that the New Covenant. One more before we get to the New Covenant. That's the covenant uh, between God and David. It's called the Davidic Covenant. And this is simply where, where uh, David wanted to build a temple for God to reside. And God said, no, I don't want you to do that. But what I'm going to do, David, is I'm going to build a house for you, meaning I'm going to establish your kingdom and your household uh, for all eternity in, inside, inside the nation of Israel. And that was fulfilled in, in Jesus Christ, who, the promised Messiah, who became, is going to be king forever. And he came from the human line of, of David. The last covenant you need to be aware of is the new covenant. And this is, this is a total change. And the first time we read about this is in Jeremiah 31. And this is come when, when the people of Israel were in, were in uh, bondage, were, were, were out uh, being captive by Babylon. 
And God promised he's going to bring them back and he's going to start a new covenant with them. And in it, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the, the old covenant I made with the people. And he goes on to say, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and it, I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, that, those are the covenants you need to understand. And I'm, I'm sorry for, for that history lesson, lesson but it's, it's important for us to understand that. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to look at the first few verses, actually the first line, through the, through the a covenant lens and see what we can see there. Okay, so, so this is what it says. In, uh, ver I'll read verses 19 to 21. Uh, Therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, um, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, and then it goes on to say, let us, and so on. Okay, so uh, let, let me just um, try and make a contrast here between old covenant and new covenant through this passage. Now that line, uh, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, is a really, really significant line. Um, does anybody recognize the name of David Platt? He's an he's a author, pastor, um, wrote a book called Radical. Anybody recognize that name? So just a few of you. Um, what he says about this line, he says this, if the truth of these words don't astound you, you have no clue as to who God is. Okay, that, that's how important they are because for the people of the Old Covenant, this statement would have been absolutely unthinkable. You see, their first encounter with this holy God uh, was, was at, the, at the foot of Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments came. And if you and I had, would have been there that day, like the Israelites, we would have been terrified because uh, God had said to them, uh, don't come near the mountain. You know, don't come near my presence or you're going to die. And, uh, you know, as this holy and all-powerful God descended upon the mountain, the Scripture says that the ground shook around them and there was fire on the mountain. And if you were looking outside at this thing, you knew that something supernatural was happening. And I'm sure for the people that were, that were thinkers, because God had promised that he would come and dwell with his people, and they're thinking, well, well how can this holy God who is all-powerful and eternal, come in and live with, with us. These, you know, we're sinful, finite people. How is this going to work? And, uh, but God did have a plan. And if we keep on reading in the book of Exodus, we're going to discover that, that God did make a way for his glorious and holy presence to dwell amongst his people. And that was through the tabernacle, which he designed and built as a way for God to meet with men. Now, I have a slide up here. I'm just going to throw it up there. Uh, you may or may not know the tabernacle very well, but let me just explain this to you. There are kind of three main compartments to the, to the tabernacle. The one is, as you enter the gate, there's the outer court. And so, you know, quite a few people could be there, and there was an altar there, and there was a place where you wash to, to cleanse yourself. Um, as you move further in, it was for the priests, and that was the holy place. And the, there was things like a lampstand and a table of showbread and an altar of incense. And, and those things actually, I think, represent uh, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the, and the prayers of the saints that's in there. But, but there's the next level over that's a significant one. It's called the Holy of Holies. And I don't know if you can see that in the diagram, but, but there's something that's called a veil or a curtain that happened there. And the curtain separated um, mankind 
from the place where God would, would, would come to dwell. And inside the Holy of Holies, there was a few things, but one of them was the Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark of the Covenant was, was significant. It was made from acacia wood. Uh, there on it was a, was called an atonement cover. And on the atonement cover, they had crafted these, these gold cherubim that came up. And the, the wings would come up high, and they'd look over top of the, of the, the cover. And uh, what would happen is that, that once a year, the high priest would, would uh, go into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice for the people on the Day of Atonement. Uh, he became the, the intermediary, intermediary and the go-between between a sinful people and a holy God. And, um, but the thing is, is that he didn't enter the Holy of Holies with bold confidence that Hebrews tells us to. He entered into the Holy of Holies with, with great fear. I, I'm sure it was a, a highly anxious time for the high priest. Now, we, we know from the Bible that, that uh, Aaron, who was the high priest at the time, his sons didn't do something that they were told to do. And, and in a split second, God, God struck them because a, a holy God met an unholy people. So, so, Moses, so Aaron had this in the background. And what, what the Bible tells us is that they, they would go in there and they actually had bells that they sewed into the garment of, of Aaron so that when he walked in, they could hear him moving around. And history tells us that they would tie a rope to his leg and, and if the bells stopped ringing, that meant that he did something that was not right and, and, and uh, the holiness of God met the, the sinfulness of man, and that was his demise. And so they would then pull out the high priest in case something happened. So, so now imagine that being you, and you're going, okay, you have to do everything exactly right, and if you don't, you might see God face to face in a different way. Like, it's, it's a very scary proposition there. And... Um, uh, so, so that's what happened. And, and when he went in there into the Holy of Holies, it said that he, he took three animals. He took a ram, and he took, uh, he, he took two goats. And with the ram, he would, he would sacrifice the ram inside there, and then he would, he would sprinkle the blood over the, over the Ark of the Covenant and, and the, the um, atonement cover. And that was to cover his sin so he could do what he needed to do. And then he would take one of the goats and he would sacrifice the goat and he would sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and the, and the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant uh, as a way to, to bring forgiveness uh, to the people in, in the land. Now, I just want you to, to picture this because we, we do have God who is holy and he requires, he requires something. Remember when, when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, he says that when you sin that, that day you're going to die? And some of you might be thinking, well, he didn't actually die, but something did. An animal did for them to, to clothe them. And so, so what happens is you have the cherubim, which, which always symbolize the presence of God. So when, when God uh, kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he put up cherubim. It's, it says that this is, this is where God dwells, and so you can't be here. Okay, so that's a cherubim looking over. And the, and the picture is, you know, God looking down, and inside the Ark of the Covenant was, was the, the Old Covenant. And God looking down at the Old Covenant and realizing that, that my people did not keep the law. But what he sees instead with the blood sprinkles is he sees that there has been a sacrifice and that has paid the price for the sinfulness of man. And so that, that's the picture that we, we have there of God looking down. And he looks down and he says, I'm satisfied that my justice has been completed. And then he moves forward with grace. Now, with the other ram, 
or with the other goat, what they would do is he would go back out into the, the people, and it says that he would lay his hand on that, on that goat, and he would confess all the sins of the people. I don't know how he did that. You know, you know pray for David who, who cheated on his grade 10 math test, and pray for, you know, I, I don't know what, what he was said, but they went through all the sins, and then once the sins were confessed, they would lead the, that goat out into the wilderness, into the desert, and they would leave him. And, and symbolically, that meant that, that your sins are being removed as far as the east is from the west, and God's forgiving you. That was, that was the picture of, of that for the, for the people. Okay, so that's what happened in that room of the Holy of Holies. Now, I just want you to contrast again Old Testament covenant, New Testament covenant, the covenant that we see here in Hebrews. In the, in the Old Covenant, God said to people, uh, you stay back from the mountain because if you cross this barrier and you come into my, my presence, you're going to die. So there's fear. In the New Testament, it says, draw near in faith. Total contrast. In the Old Testament, it was one man able to go and, and visit God on behalf of the people. In the New Testament covenant, it's any and every person who has put their trust in Christ, which means that, that, that you and I don't have to go through a high priest anymore. We can go directly to, to God, and he's ready to listen to us and accept us. Um, in the Old Covenant, it happened annually, one time a year, and it had to keep on being repeated. In the New Testament covenant, it can happen whenever we want to. You can go into God's throne room right now, and then something can happen this afternoon. You can go back into the game then, and you can keep on going into it. That's, that's the picture there. And so clearly, uh, we have a privilege um, that the Old Testament saints only dreamt might be possible one day, this unlimited access to God. Now, the, the verse continues that we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the, by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way opened for us to the curtain, that is his body, and it talks about the high priest over the house of God. So, so essentially what's happening here is, is we have uh, that our guilt is, is gone, our conscience is clean, and Jesus, our high priest, is now continually interceding for us uh, because he's seated at the right hand of God. Now, it's, it's an awesome privilege for us to be able to go into the presence of God for, for whenever we need to, for any reason, to confess the sin in our life, to, to pray for God's grace in our life, to ask Him to rescue us, to protect us, to comfort us. You know, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And this, is, this is, is what the New Testament covenant does for us. And this is the, 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 the first and the sure foundation we have. But also, out of that, uh, the recipients of this new covenant comes the second major truth, and that is now we're members of a new community. And uh, this is what it says. That, uh, and, and the foundational truth here is, since we've, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new, new and living way, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, then it calls us to do some things. And it says to us that we need to let us draw near to God, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, and let us spur one another on towards, towards love and good deeds. Now, I'm going to talk about the first one very briefly this morning, and the next two we're going to look at over the next, next couple of weeks. So that's what we have here. Now, uh, what, what the author is really saying here is that Christ's work on the cross not only um, does something for us, transforms us between our, us and our Heavenly Father, but it radically transforms our relationships with each other because we're recipients of this new covenant and we're in a new community. 
And in verse 21, it even uses the phrase, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, which, which means that, that, that Christ is not just the priest over you or over me, it's over the house of God. And that phrase is used one other time in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, and says that Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, it says, and we are his house, indeed, if we hold uh, to the confident hope that we have in glory. So we're that house. In other words, the church, of course, is not a building. Uh, it's, it's a people. It's us. And what does that mean for us? Well, it means that, that we have a king who rules over us uh, for all eternity, and he has dominion over us. We have a priest who is sitting at the right hand of God who is interceding for us all the time. And that's what we, have look, we can look forward to. Now, last, last point here is that, is that as we draw near to God, he says we should do a couple of things. We should draw near to him with a, with a sincere heart. You know, people um, naturally have hearts that are, that, that are moving away from God. We have hard hearts. And in fact, the author here in, in Hebrews says in, in chapter 3, he, he says, he refers back to the history of the people, and he says this, do not harden your hearts. Later on, he says, their hearts are always going astray. And then he concludes with this warning, see to it, brothers and sisters, this is for us, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, I say that because that's exactly what we do, isn't it? You know, our hearts turn away from God. We, we wander. Uh, even in light of the new covenant and the fact that we can have direct access to God at any point in our lives, we still have this temptation for us to turn away from God. And, and, and our sense uh, as a staff team and, and our fear as, you know, as leaders is that over the last two years, there have been uh, some of us, if not many of us, whose hearts have either had a slow drift away from God or we've had a disconnect from God. Now, that may be you um, or may not be you. You're here. That's a good thing, right? But, but some of us you know, aren't here. And, and God wants us to, to, to return to Him, to have this, this desire to, to be united back with Him, to have a heart that's not divided in any way. And he says that, that we, can, we can do this, uh, that we, we can go back to God and he can accept us. And we can go to him with, with assurance because of what Jesus Christ did in the cross. And when we go to him, we can be assured that our hearts are going to be cleansed and our bodies purified. And, and the Bible uh, tells us that, that you know, we, we have sinned, all of us have. But the wonderful thing is that God justifies us on the cross and that he now changes us through his sanctifying work for us. So, so that's just the first few verses here, and I'm going to stop there this morning uh, because next week, uh, Pastor West is going to come up, and he's going to uh, help us understand, you know, what, what we can do when our, when our hearts have, have drifted away from God, um, how we can return to God in a very practical way, and why that's important for us. So I'm going to invite Pastor Chet to come up uh, with the worship team, and, and I just want to, uh, to close in prayer. And then we're going to sing one song together. So let me pray. So, Father, uh, thank you so much that you're a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Uh, thank you that, that um, you kind of show us who you are. You, you show us your love. You, you show us your redemptive work through the covenants of Scripture. And thank you uh, that we are part of the new covenant, that we're able to, to go to you at any point. And your call to us, God, is that, is that we who are people that are prone to wander, 
that our hearts can get hardened, that you want us to come back to you, you want us to return. And so even, even this morning and in the days to come, may you, uh, may you help us uh, long for you, that we would desire to be with you, that our hearts would come back to you in every way. Do not give us the, the luxury of, of complacency. Do not give us the luxury where we can kind of be dulled to the sin in our lives. But God, we know that you want us to return to you. And when you do, that you will, will bless us. And so guide us in these things, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.